0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
1: VoiceOver on.
0: Settings. So you can navigate it just by listening.
2: Books. Contacts. Calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.
3: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from deep inside the Silicon Valley future machine. We have a good one for you this week. I have taken a deep dive into the truly fascinating world of esports. Now, if you're a gamer, you may know much of what is about to unfold, but don't get an attitude. We're a very broad church here at Danny in the Valley, and to many of the listeners, they'll find this quite revelatory. If you do happen to be one of those in the know, you'll still have a good time, and you'll probably learn a few things as well. So just relax. Enjoy. And one more thing before we get going, I need your help. Later this month, we'll be having none other than Sir Richard Branson on the pod, the bearded one himself, who, uh, if you didn't know, has loads of investments in the tech world, from test tube meatball makers to rocket ships and everything in between. So we're going to have him on. We're going to talk about all that stuff and a whole lot more. And for the interview, I'd like to do a bit of a mailbag thing, where I fire a few of questions at him from from you guys. So, what do you want to know? I'll pick out a bunch of the best and mix them in. Uh, you can email me at danny.fortson f o r t s o n at sunday-times.co.uk, or find me on Twitter at dannyfortson. DM me or tweet at me, whatever. It should be a lot of fun, but we digress. That is enough of the housekeeping. We have important matters to uh, attend to, which we will get to on today's show right now. It's game on. Yo, technology, what is it all about? You recognize those sounds, don't you? I know I'm dating myself a bit here, but for most people of my generation, and later generations, that soundtrack is unmistakable. Super Mario Brothers. It was addictive. I spent a lot of my time growing up playing video games. I spent hours beating the pants off my little brother at Tecmo Bowl. It's still a source of family tensions. Sorry, Mike. Now, we all know video games have come a very, very long way since then. Those games I just mentioned were basically the dark ages. Today, the industry and the games they produce are unrecognizable from those primitive early days. The graphics, the storylines, the gore, the complexity, it's breathtaking. But what you may not know, unless you happen to be a teenage boy, is that the gaming industry has scaled new heights. It's no longer just something to waste away a perfectly sunny day. It's an industry that rivals Hollywood, not just financially, but culturally. The top players can make seven-figure salaries and have legions of fans. Tournaments will sell out vast stadiums in a matter of minutes. And now, new leagues are being formed that experts reckon will someday, and much sooner than you think, rival the Premier League, the NBA, and American football in their fan bases, cultural relevance, and most importantly, the money they generate. In this very special episode of Danny in the Valley, I delve into the world of esports to peel back the curtain on a booming industry from the roaring crowds
4: to the players. Practice is, is usually six hours a day for the team. I usually stream around six hours also, so it'll probably be 12 hours when I'm eligible a day of playing. It's draining, very draining.
3: The owners...
2: I guarantee you, you know... On any given day, we have more viewership than most NBA teams do. It's got a lot of potential. That, that's why you're seeing the dollars.
3: And of course, the fans. It's kind of a new thing, right?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. I came all the way from Texas to like, see this.
3: So stay with us. It's going to be a fun ride. So a few months back, I took a flight down to L.A. and checked into a Sheraton in Universal City. It was one of those L.A. hotels where the halls are lined with photos of movie stars from past eras. They had a trolley service to the nearby Universal Studios theme park. I showed up there so I could see for myself what this eSports fuss was all about. eSports, you see, is the name that has been given to professional gaming. So the players, you could say, are the eSports athletes. But most don't look like what you th- might think of when you hear that word, athlete. They're known by their gaming names like Faker and Tailspin and Baby Bay. Some are rail thin. Others are a uh, much more ample frame. Most look like they could use a lot more sun. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. LA is the home to the brand new Overwatch League, which is the boldest experiment yet in this budding world of esports. Overwatch is known as what is a first-person shooter where, you, where what you see on the screen is the first-person view of a character that is, you guessed it, doing lots of shooting. What makes it right for League is that it can be played in teams. The game is the creation of Activision Blizzard, which is the largest video game company in America and Europe, and it is truly massive. The company behind hits like Call of Duty has a $50 billion market value which puts it in the same league as entertainment conglomerates like Time Warner and Vivendi. And they invited the world's media to the Sheraton to cover the opening weekend of their new league. Now, Overwatch is not the first esports league. Far from it. League of Legends, which was developed by Riot Games, an L.A.-based developer that was bought out in 2011 by Tencent, the giant Chinese technology conglomerate, is hugely popular. In November, League of Legends sold out the Bird's Nest Stadium in Beijing for the championship showdown. And yes, I'm talking about that Bird's Nest Stadium, the 90,000-seat monstrosity that they built for the 2008 Olympics. The event had all the pomp and pageantry of the Super Bowl. The pre-match show featured elaborate choreographed routines with hundreds of dancers, they had a few pop stars, even had a giant hologram dragon. Now, Overwatch has a ways to go before it's packing out 90,000-seat stadiums. What's interesting, however, is that the league is the first to attempt to copy traditional sports by creating teams based in hometowns with their own arenas, merchandise, and, of course, huge, rabid fan bases. I talked to Nate Nanzer, league commissioner and architect of this whole affair, to talk about why they went this route. If you look at the NFL, the English Premier League, the NBA... These are leagues where, what
1: is the English Premier League? It is, it is content, right? They're creating content matches. And they build an audience around the content, and then they monetize the audience through media rights and sponsorship and merchandise and tickets and, and, and all of those things. So we took a very similar approach of we have this, you know, over 35 million fans of Overwatch, people who've, who are playing and have played our game. And can we <clears throat> create a similar professional structure where we create consistency and stability. I think if you if you talk to people who uh, are investing in esports, one of the hesitations that you've seen in prior years, and you still see some of this from a brand perspective, is the lack of structure has made people a little timid around investment. And so we saw an opportunity to create a professional structure, make create stability and consistency for teams through the franchise model where they could feel uh, comfortable investing uh, for the long term to help us build this over time and then create content, build the audience around the content, and then go monetize it in the same way.
3: The plan seems to be working. There are 12 Overwatch teams, from the London Spitfire to the San Francisco Shock to the Seoul Dragons from Korea. And their backers include some of the savviest people from the business and sports worlds. People like Stan Kroenke, the billionaire who owns the NFL's LA Rams as well as Arsenal Football Club. He has the Los Angeles Gladiators. The junk bond tycoon Michael Milken put his money into the L.A. Valiant. And the San Francisco Shocks owners include the pop star Jennifer Lopez, basketball legend Shaquille O'Neal, and entrepreneur Andy Miller, who made a few hundred million dollars when he sold his last company to Apple. And More shocking than the quality of the investors is what they're willing to pay to get in on the ground floor. Each ownership group paid $20 million for the rights to one of these first 12 teams. In other words, Activision pocketed $240 million before the first shot was fired in their new league. Obviously, they have big plans. I
1: think we wanted to make sure that we got best-in-class owners and operators with a proven history of building fandom. Our owners from eSports have done an amazing job building those brands. Traditional sports owners obviously have a proven track record there. And then even owners like our sole ownership, like Kevin Chu built an incredible business at Kabam. You know that was sort of first and foremost. And the commitment we're making to the owners is that we're going to go structure a professional league and drive revenues like it hasn't been seen in eSports before, and the commitment back to us is that they're going to build great local fan bases and businesses and start to, over time, host those home games. And we think that's and when the so league.
3: So they, they all have committed to build venues.
1: Yeah, either, either acquire a venue through some means and have the ability to be able to host 20 home games a year.
3: Now, I know what you're thinking. Why on earth would anybody pay good money to sit in a stadium or, or arena and watch some teenager play video games? Well, I thought the same thing. So I asked. The opening weekend matches for the Overwatch League were held at what used to be the Tonight Show Theater in L.A., Activision has commandeered it and transformed it into an esports theater. They have giant wraparound screens that rise all the way to the ceiling, and they hang above two raised platforms studded with computer screens and keyboards. The battlefield, so to speak. Before the matches began, I wandered around outside, chatting to a few fans, who were busy buying up keychains, jerseys, stickers, action figures, and all kinds of other swag from their favorite teams. Do you guys have a second? (laughs) Or not? I'm, I'm with the Times of London, and I'm over here covering the, the event, and I was just trying to talk to some fans to see how excited you were.
5: Sure.
3: So, uh, could you just tell me your name?
1: Jennifer. My whole name? Or just Jennifer.
3: As you can tell, Jennifer was skeptical. It's kind of a new thing, right?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. I came all the way from Texas to, like, see this.
3: I admit my questions weren't the most probing. I didn't really know what to ask, to be honest. I mean, give me football and we can talk about the benefits of a 4-4-2 formation. Or in basketball, well, I can talk about lots of stuff about basketball. But gaming, and Overwatch in particular, I was clueless. I mean, what do we talk about? Finger speed? I tried again. Uh, I'm with the Times of London. Beautiful.
2: Yeah. All right. What do you got going on here? Dude, I'm hanging out super hard, man. Ready to check this out. Yeah, Valen's going to come in and take it today, no problem. You think so? Yeah, dude. Absolutely
3: anyone who says he's hanging out super hard is clearly ready to have a chat so i asked him what do you think about people who are like oh this ain't a sport this isn't a sport because it's not on a field or on a court
2: uh it's very different um at the same time i would probably pose the same question would you consider chess a sport just because it's not necessarily on a field it's one of the most competitive games in the world has been for a very very long time and it doesn't matter if it's." Playing football, basketball, playing a video game like Overwatch or playing chess, anything like that, as long as there's a competitive nature, that's going to be great because you have to be the best of the best. And no matter what, if you're in that top echelon, that top tier of people, you're going to be recognized for it. So whether or not people consider it a sport or not, it's still one of the most competitive things you can do in the world. So might as well go for it, right?
3: And that was the refrain I heard from a lot of folks. People like to watch excellence, the people who are the absolute top of their field, whether it's on the football pitch or if they're sat behind a screen. Now, we'll get back to opening day, but I thought it was worth diving into the world of the players. I wanted to know, what does it take to become an esports player? What's life like? The top player for the San Francisco Shock is Jay Wan, an 18-year-old who left high school a couple years ago to turn pro. His screen name, and everybody has a screen name, is Sinatra. Two A's at the end. But he also has another nickname. Here's Andy Miller, the team's owner, speaking in a room of very excitable teenagers and twenty somethings.
2: They call him Mr. One Hundred and Fifty because he's the highest-paid player on our team. But it was a big deal. ESPN did a column on him. He was the he makes one hundred fifty grand, one hundred fifty k. That's his base for the year.
3: When I was eighteen, I was making sandwiches at Subway for five bucks an hour. Perhaps I should have stuck with Super Mario. But I digress. I sat down with Sinatra, who I should stress was still 17 when we spoke, so he was on the team but not yet eligible to play in matches for a few more months. And like every other team, the San Francisco Shock has all its players living in a one-team house. They have cooks, physical trainers, coaches, and entire infrastructure around them. I asked Sinatra what his typical day looked like
4: it's hard, hard to say that video gaming is hard but it is hard it's draining very draining eight hours a day gaming of just practice with your team and then going home and if you want to build your social brand then you have to stream which takes a lot of energy right because so there's
3: training and then there's streaming yeah, after that
4: yeah like content creation if you want to like right grow yourself it's hard so what's your uh, like typical day right now since i'm not eligible to play I basically just stream. I basically wake up, go out to eat with other teammates or coaches, and then I come back home and stream, basically. But when I do become eligible, it'll be a lot. It'll, it'll be a lot. I've obviously missed my home and my parents and my yeah, friends. Yeah. But.
3: And do you plan on going to college, university, or are you just gonna, is this going to be
4: your job? No, I do not plan on going to college or university at all, Yeah. ever. I actually just hate school, to be honest.
3: Like any parent, I had to ask – what did mom and dad think of his new career?
4: They're very happy for me. They they didn't believe in me at first, you know. Yeah. Well, obviously every parent, if you're in, like, high school or middle school and you have, like, not that great grades and you're always playing games, they're always going to be worried. Yeah. But when I finally got pro and, like, when I went pro in January, they, they saw I could actually make money off this. And, like, my hobby can turn into a job, basically. Yeah. Not a job. It's not a job for me. It's basically a job for me, but it's a hobby, too. It's more of a hobby. And they're really happy that... I found success with what I love doing. Yeah.
3: Sinatra seemed like a pretty well-adjusted kid, but that is not necessarily the rule. Ryan Morrison is the founder of Morrison Lee, one of the biggest agencies specializing in representing esports players. He said most of those who make it to the pros are not very well-equipped to handle their new life.
6: To get there itself, is it takes a special kind of person, and, and uh, the stereotype's pretty accurate. A lot of those people have been in their basements their whole lives, metaphorically, if not really. They don't have a lot of social skills. They don't have any understanding of of how to open a bank account or how to fly on a plane with the proper identification or just anything. Their life is playing that game because you have to do it to be that good at it. Once they get that good at it and once they're recruited by an organization, if it's a tier one organization, their life is is fine because they're going to make a lot of money. But they're also, you know, they're up every morning for two hours. They go to the gym. Then they have to scrim or practice for eight hours. Then when that's done, they usually have dinner brought to them at their seat so they don't get up and leave. And then after dinner, they go and they have to stream where they're basically practicing the game, but for an audience and uh, go to sleep and repeat. On a platform like Twitch, for example. Exactly. And then they go to sleep and repeat and that's it. They very rarely have relationships. They very rarely have friendships. We try to take them out to dinner and things and they don't want to.
3: What's so interesting about esports is that these kids are the base of the pyramid that is being built by the world's most sophisticated investors, sponsors, and companies. Morrison said, however, that things have come on leaps and bounds from when he first got into the industry about four years ago. Back then, he was giving some free legal advice on trademark litigation in the gaming industry, which piqued the interest of players who were getting raw deals.
6: A bunch of esports players started reaching out saying, uh, hey, you know, we're not getting paid. And truth be told, I played all these games, but I had no idea what esports was. Uh, So it was it was very eye opening to see this whole world. They sent me their contract, and it was the the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, just a, a first year law student would have shredded it apart. apart. And when when and when was this roughly? Uh, about three years ago, two
3: and a half years ago. So it was still kind of uh, n- nascent. Let's say.
6: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, yeah, yeah. it's, uh, it's th- these contract. No, no player had an attorney look at their contract un- until very recently. Uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, But again, I looked at these contracts and they were awful. I mean, awful. And these were tier one orgs, very famous organizations, winning a lot of money, having a lot of really successful players using contracts that were, you know, LegalZoom wouldn't have approved.
0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
2: VoiceOver on settings.
0: So you can navigate it just by listening.
2: Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open breakfast with anna from 10 to 11
0: and get on with your day accessibility there's more to iphone life is full of what
1: ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs united healthcare can help get you covered with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans
0: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
3: The situation is improving. The league minimum for Overwatch is $50,000. The Morrison said the average is closer to one hundred and twenty. And on top of this comes housing, benefits, even retirement plans. For more well-established games like League of Legends, top players can make $250,000 a year in salary alone. For context, League of Legends was released a decade ago. Overwatch is just two years old. But of course, salaries are only one slice of the pie. Like any sport, broadcasting rights are key. And one company totally dominates. It's called Twitch, and Amazon bought it in 2014 for a billion dollars. Now, you may have never heard of Twitch, but it is an absolute money spinner for Jeff Bezos. Think of it as YouTube for gaming, where the top players can go on, start playing whatever game it is that they play, and depending on how popular they are, they can have tens of thousands of people logged on at any one time, chatting with their heroes and picking up strategy tips. Every day, more than 10 million people log on to the platform. Streaming is the secret sauce of the whole industry. For one, Twitch has become one of the few places where men aged 13 to 34 can be found in any one place at any given time. And this is a coveted demographic. All those eyeballs are catnip for advertisers, and the deals they strike with top players is what pushes their earnings from the hundreds of thousands into the millions. Here's Andy Miller of The Shock again. And keep in mind, Miller is not a newbie to sports ownership. He's a part owner of the Sacramento Kings basketball team and has dabbled in baseball as well. The Shock are one of several esports teams that he owns through his company, NRG Esports. Which he started with Mark Masteroff, the founder of the twenty four hour fitness gym chain.
2: I, I here's my best example. If you look at like someone told me that uh, like NBA ownership, or something like through the ABA, and you know, it was like the players who were the managers and owned the team. And then eventually, when it became something viable, like the car dealership guy, you know, the local guy, he owned the team. And then you got to millionaires and eventually to the billionaires over the 50 70 year cycle. Esports is like in the last three years, you've gone from you know, uh, player owned teams to when Mark and I came in, we were the first real traditional sports owners in, and it was a big. Oh, Really? Yeah, and then when Shaquille was an investor with us, you know, the, the, the players, the fans, were like, wow, like validation. This is cool. People paying attention to us, and then a year or two later, like here we are at Overwatch League with the Cronkies and the Will Ponds, and you know, and I'm the popper in the group. <laughs> so that evolution was like two years, three years versus 70 years. Why? Because of the audience because of the audience, because I think the meta shift of viewership and looking at declining viewership in ESPN and cord cutters and cord neverers and how the um, overall demographics of golf, baseball, you know, they're old. These are old, older folks and they don't want to become horse racing or boxing. So yeah. the effort to get young and this is where people spend their time. There's no doubt. This is where right. it's not just kids who are watching this by any stretch. Everyone thinks, you know, our audience is say, a bunch of 16 year olds. Our, our, our average audience is like 25 to 30. And right. um, they used to play like crazy and now they have jobs and now they watch like crazy. We had a player on our team uh, who's probably the most famous player in Overwatch, Seagull. He was on our team up until uh, Overwatch League. When he streams, you know, his push alert goes out, says uh, Seagull's going to stream in five minutes. He'll, he'll get 20,000, 25,000 people every minute watching him for as many He's hours as he He's on the Valiant. No, he is on Dallas Fuel. He's a great guy. He's wonderful. And he plays a very fast game, and he slows it down, and he talks while he plays, and he explains it, and somehow he can play and still read all the chat that goes on, and uh, he's very accomplished at that. And he makes a lot of money as a player, but I guarantee you he makes way, way, way more as a streamer.
3: Miller is right about the viewership numbers. They're crazy. That League of Legends final I told you about, the one at the Bird's Nest, its peak viewership was 80 million people. For comparison, this year's Academy Awards, which is typically one of the biggest events in the TV calendar, was watched by $27 And on Overwatch's opening weekend, Twitch announced a three-year, $90 million deal to be the exclusive streaming channel for the league. It was the largest deal in esports' short history. Beyond this idea of watching very skilled people do what they do, there's another key lure to esports. And that is that it appears attainable for anyone. It's not like football or basketball, where you have to have an amazing physique or be very strong or fast or agile. Anyone can sit in front of their computer or TV and play a game. And as I said, the athletes look like, well, normal people. You wouldn't take a second look if you passed any of them in the street. And so, below the very top level of esports, there is a whole ecosystem that is now bubbling up underneath it. Of people who reckon that maybe, just maybe, they too may have a shot at the big show. One afternoon, I got on a Skype call with a man named Faraz. At least that was his gamer name.
5: Hi, nice to meet you.
3: Faraz is a gaming coach. Now, I remember growing up playing all kinds of different sports, and there was always that one kid with his own private coach on the side who was taking things just a bit more seriously than everybody else, or at least his parents were. I wanted to understand how this translated to gaming. So I got in touch with a Boston startup called Gamer Sensei, which has created a platform for gamers to find coaches around the world. And they, in turn, put me in touch with Faraz, who was going to give me a private lesson in Hearthstone, an online card game of sorts that was also developed by Activision Blizzard. But much more interesting than my faltering attempts at the game was Faraz's own personal story, which I think is quite a good illustration of the growing reach of esports. And as a reminder, our call was in late afternoon California time. Faraz, I came to find out, lives in Greece, 10 time zones away. And are you in Athens now?
5: Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm in Athens, yes.
3: Oh my god, what time is it?
5: It is 2 (laughs) a.m.
3: Oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. We can do this tomorrow morning if you want to sleep.
5: No, 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 no. no. I work on uh, USA times from uh, evening till 5, 6 a.m. Most of my customers are from the U.S., so yeah, I have changed my sleep schedule. It's a regular time for me. I don't even uh, feel sleepy, so don't worry at all. (laughs)
3: <laughs> i'll take your word for it this is your kind of full-time job
5: yes i was a math teacher and i took a big decision in my life to go into esports coaching uh in my opinion coaching is teaching so it wasn't a big change <laughs> i changed the subject <laughs> if i had to be honest i think the greek economy kind of pushed me to it the average salary for a teacher in greece is like four dollars or so so it's pretty bad four dollars
3: what four dollars an hour
5: yes Pretty much $4 to $5 per hour. It's and this,
3: uh, I presume, is uh, much better than $4 an hour.
5: Yes, it's much better. Of course, you know, uh, <laughs> when they ask me, I say, I'm born to be a math teacher, but um, I still love coaching. It's <laughs> it's teaching, you know, in Hearthstone.
3: And do you know a lot of people that do this?
5: Yes, yes, actually. And a lot of people are from Greece because of the economy. That's a reality. If you see like the, the demographics of Gamersense and other coaching sites, um, there is like a huge amount of greek people maybe even like eight to nine percent of a website even if it's like a country with 10 million million people um uh, esports and coaching and uh, generally in gaming scene greeks are uh, they are there special because of the economy in my opinion a lot of people are trying something else this is how i pay my bills and not only by bills like i'm uh, we are a family of four i'm the only one that's working the unemployment rate in greece it's It's insane. Actually, if if I count my stepfather as well, he's not employed. I mean, he has a small income, but he's not employed as well. So I'm the only income in the family. I'm the only one that supports.
3: So who knew? Greece is a hotbed of video game coaches working the graveyard shifts for their overseas clients. Now I'll spare you the audio of my lesson with Faraz. Suffice to say, we'd have to have a steady stream of lessons before I was passable at the game. And you can see why people might try, like most of these popular games. Hearthstone holds an annual world championship tournament. The last one was in January in Amsterdam. The winner, Tom60229, took home a $250,000 cash prize. And on the other end of that spectrum, you have folks like Faraz, a 26-year-old former math teacher who is supporting a family of four in Athens. And that is very much part of the vision of the esports tycoons. The goal is that professional leagues like League of Legends and Overwatch will see esports as an organized, respectable way for children to spend their time growing up, just as, say, youth football is today. In the same way that
1: there will be families all over the country, mom and dad come home from work and pick up the kids and go to a basketball game or a baseball game, I don't think it's going to be any different in the future. That they'll come home, pick up the kids and go to an overwatch league game. Video games is an incredibly mainstream activity. It's a huge part of people's lives. There's a, a great feeling you get when you go experience it live. Like I think I'm, I'm, I'm glad you'll get to come see it tomorrow. Cause I think it's one of those moments you get it. I was never like a soccer fan. And then I went to a premier league game and I was like, Oh, okay. I, I get it now. That is an important step, and what we want to do, you know, for esports is really bring more competition, more fans around the world, give them that opportunity to engage live, and we think, you know, it's really going to take off from there.
3: Now, before you go and quit your job and start gaming 24-7 with visions of hitting the big time, a word of caution. The odds of making it to the elite level are microscopic. More than 35 million people play Overwatch, but there are only 113 players in the league. That is about as close as you can get to a 0% chance of success and the life of a pro esports player is brutally short. I talked to Bishop, the head coach of the London Spitfire, whose entire roster has been brought over from South Korea.
4: I was pursuing education, had to finish my service in the Korean army as well. After all that, yeah, decided to pursue uh, professional gaming before I lost my window of time. Obviously, if you, get, you go over your prime age, um, you slightly lose that opportunity to become a professional player. So I decided to give it one last chance. What's the prime age? Depends on each game, but I would say for Overwatch in the Korean scene, you know, you want to be in your early 20s. Once you go uh, over your mid 20s, um it's slightly harder to compete with the new talent. And
3: how old is the team here?
4: Oh,
6: everyone is uh fairly young. You want to 한국 미국 나이로는 열아홉 살이고 한국 나이로는 근데 버드링한테는 형으로 불리고 있고. 그리고 하고 있지만 뭐 uh, so I am 19, but by Korean age, I'm 20. Um, even though I am 20 I'm by a Korean age, and technically the same age as Rascal, because I was born earlier during the year, he still calls me Hyung, which is how a male refers to an older male in Korea. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's like the respective term. Right.
3: It's not hard to understand why youth is key here. In a first-person shooter like Overwatch, you need to be very quick with your fingers and be able to retain that quickness for hours on end. Lots of kids burn out, get carpal tunnel syndrome, fall down the rankings, and just like that, their time at the top is over. The oldest player on the San Francisco Shock, for example, Dak, is all of 28 years old. The Spitfire are deep in negotiations with the O2 Arena and a few premiership clubs about securing rights to a London-based arena for their home games. But currently, they sit ninth in the 12-team standings. Something tells me that they'll need to climb up the table if they have any hope of competing with the Capitals, football teams, and other attractions. And there is also one other glaring issue that esports needs to reckon with. Extreme gender bias. Of those 113 players, there is not a single woman. This is a big issue. The Gamergate controversy in which several women in the industry were viciously attacked online for raising issues of sexism in gaming culture was only a few years ago. I asked Nanzer about that, not least because if for no other reason than cutting out half the population just seems like bad business. I think that's something we are conscious of. I think it's, it's not something we want to force. My
1: personal view on that is I think we still have a long way to go as a culture of making playing games uh, an activity that's okay for girls in the way that it's okay for boys. I think I have a daughter and it's something I, I even noticed. I have a son and a daughter and there was never a question that I was going to play games with my son. I just started doing it. And my daughter asked me the other day, like, dad, can I learn how to play Overwatch 2? And it was like, you know, I was just like, hit myself in the head, like, what? I'm part of the problem. And so I think, you know, there's nothing physically different between a man and a woman when it comes to playing a game. And I, and I, I really do think it's a bit cultural, but, I, but if you look at video games, video games is the most mainstream thing in the world. It's super mainstream activity. There, there are millions of people walking around playing Candy Crush on their phone that maybe don't think of themselves as gamers, but they're, they're playing a game. I think as video games uh, continues to, to become more and more mainstream, we'll start to see that activity become a common one that
3: boys and girls do growing up. Back at the former Tonight Show Theater, there was more than a sprinkling of women in the crowd for the big opening day match between the LA Valiant and the San Francisco Shock. I'd say maybe 25%, which, to be honest, is better than I expected. And I must say the passion of the fans was not far off from anything you'd see at a big football match. Watching the action unfold on screen, I must admit, I had no idea what was going on. Even with the help of the play-by-play announcers. If you're a fan, you already know. But just in case you're not, the LA Valiant dispatched the San Francisco Shock with relative ease. At the peak, more than 425,000 people watched the match on Twitch. And keep in mind that this is for a game that was invented two years ago. For comparison, Sky gets an average of 820,000 viewers for a typical Premier League match. And the beautiful game, of course, has been around since the mid-19th century. So perhaps the idea that video games will take their place alongside the world's other top sports isn't so crazy after all. You know, I think
1: something that Stan Kroenke said in one of the meetings that we had, I think is really smart in a, a way that a lot of investors are viewing this, which is the kids watch what they grow up with. I was I was talking with a family friend the other day, and it was a 12-year-old kid, and I said, what do you watch on TV? And he said, YouTube's my TV. That was just plain and simple. And what he watches on YouTube is long-form video game content. And And Stan's point was he doesn't, doesn't see that changing when when, when those kids grow up.
3: Now Overwatch has some of the world's richest people and sharpest minds in entertainment all attempting to pull off this amazingly ambitious trick, creating a new global spectator sport from scratch. And they may very well do it. Even if they don't, chances are someone else will. In February alone, gameplay video from a new game called Fortnite which is kind of like a survival-slash-shooter-slash-building game that was released less than a year ago, had 2.4 billion views on YouTube. And seemingly every week, cinemas and parking structures are being converted to eSports arenas, much of it driven by Fortnite mania. Meanwhile, cinema attendance, it's at a 25-year low. In other words, it's an eSports world, and we're all just living in it. And that is all the time we have. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a great time jumping into this wild world. A lot of super interesting people, a lot of very friendly people. I really enjoyed it. So thank you to everybody who took the time to sit down with me, from the Overwatch folks to the San Francisco Shock, the players, owner Andy Miller. Ryan Morrison, the list goes on. Too many to name, so if I don't name you, I'm sorry. But I really enjoyed doing this, and hopefully the listeners, you found it entertaining and uh, interesting. I will be back next week with yet another episode, and in the meantime, as always, take a stop in the Apple Podcast, do a rating and review. I really would appreciate it. And find me on Twitter, if you so desire, at Danny Fortson, or email me with those Richard Branson questions, at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk and please read me in the newspaper at the Sunday Times. Thanks so much. See you next week.
0: As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.
6: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with
2: scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.